Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to explore the global labor market outlook for 2023 and beyond. Like other key economies around the world, the U.S. appears on the verge of entering a recession, yet unemployment remains near historic lows. So what should we expect? A major spike in job losses? Or will the real story remain labor shortages? You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Joining me today is Selchuk Aaron, the senior economist here at the Conference Board. Selchuk, welcome. Thank you for having me, Steve. So, Satchuk, just do the big picture for us. What's What do you see happening here in 2023? As you mentioned, we are expecting slow economic growth overall, especially in the mature economies, including the United States, most of Europe, Japan, uh, even China is going to grow below uh, what it used to. And that is going to have an impact on the overall employment growth. It's expected to slow down. So let's say 2.7% by the end of the year in United States, 0.3% in Europe, 0.1% in Japan, and we 0.2% in China is what we are expecting. The developing economies and emerging markets are expected to grow a little bit higher uh, with an average of 1.6% for the whole year. And where do you see recession hitting? In terms of the recession, we are expecting that U.S. is going to have negative economic growth starting as early as this quarter, and Europe is going to have a similar trend. Uh, With that is going to come job losses in the second half of the year. But because, for instance, United States uh, employment grew quite rapidly in the first quarter, uh, the end of the year, we are still going to have like an overall positive uh, employment growth. That means in the first half of the year, we are gaining jobs. In the second half of the year, we are losing some of the jobs. Overall, it's going to come out to be around 0.7% employment growth for the year. Yeah, so this, so we're forecasting, it's a relatively shallow and relatively brief recession. You know, no two recessions are the same. We know that. But at the same time, you know, the last couple of recessions here in the U.S. have been pretty devastating to the labor market. This is really different, isn't it? (laughs) Correct. Yes. Uh, The big theme in this case, in this scenario is, and that's what we have been talking about, is the labor shortages. Uh, Big chunk of the population is getting to an age where they are not able to participate in the labor force. Retirements are going up. Among In the United States, for instance, around 20% of the adults are are retirees right now. And that would essentially mean they are going to have fixed incomes that they can continue spending even during a recession. And they do demand uh, certain services even during a recession, including, for instance, healthcare, uh, for instance, uh, in-person services, leisure and hospitality. So the demand on this side, on that side of the labor force, especially on in-person services, is going to continue. And also we had job losses in certain industries both in the United States as well as in in Europe, uh, which never recovered, uh, such as leisure and hospitality, as I mentioned. Uh, So we expect that these industries are going to continue higher. Uh, Hence, we are not going to have the same level of job losses as as we had in the previous recessions. Yeah, and this recession is different in the sense that it's not a financial crisis. It's it's really 
it's really engineered by the Federal Reserve in the U.S. and other central banks to, to combat inflation. And so as they slow growth, typically, you know, you lose there's job loss or, you know, diminished growth in jobs. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And hence, it's just a really low growth number in all of these places. Right. Now, what do you see happening as a result of that on wages? So we do expect that the, the wage growth is going to continue in 2023. And uh, there's different reasons for that in different parts of the world. For instance, in Europe, right? A lot of the uh, contracts uh, uh, are tied to inflation rates. Lots of unions, unions have a lot of power there. So whatever inflation rate was, last year, it's almost uh, carried into the next year in terms of the wage gains. Uh, so we do expect that the wages are going to continue going up. Uh, different countries, different rates, for example, it could be as low as 2.5% in Italy or as high as 11% in Hungary. But that said, uh, when we compare these numbers to let's say OECD's inflation forecast, they are expect expected to be, be below those numbers, meaning the real wages are actually going to contract. A little bit of a different scenario in the United States. The wages increased by 5.1% last year. We already have been seeing some decline in overall uh, wage growth. We, what, our expectations are around 4 to 4.1% increase in 2023. And depending on whether we can hit the inflation targets that the Federal Reserve says that we are going to, which is 3% by the end of the year, it could be a, a real wage growth. Yeah, but this, you know, it's sort of a circular thing here because higher wages then drive inflation, higher inflation then drives higher wages, and you kind of continue to spin and spin and spin. So what's the inflection point that would, you know, where you would then equilibrate the two? I mean, what would happen, I, I suspect, is that as long as the real wages are contracting, right, at some point, this is going to come come down to a point where the inflation rate is declining because the real wages are de declining, meaning that pe uh, workers are not going to be able to demand as, as much as they used to, which is going to have an impact on uh, overall employment, which is going to have an impact on the demand again. So it is going to come to an equilibrium where it might take a little bit longer than uh, what uh, the Federal Reserve and the other central banks are, uh, are willing to or are interested in but it's going to come to an equilibrium eventually. And, and when do you see that happening in the US roughly, you know, any particular quarter? You know, what we our expectations in terms of the job losses are, uh, it's gonna continue into 2024. And then we are gonna see again, uh, job gains afterwards. Uh, so what I would suspect is that by then, uh, wage growth should be more or less at the same level. Uh, or even below it, where the inflation is. So inflation. Is, so you're saying mm -hmm. you're you're saying after 2024. Uh, sometime like second quarter, third quarter of 2024, we should have. Ah, okay. So another year of this until we get to some sort of normalization right. is kind mm -hmm. of what I hear you saying. Okay, and how much? So, what is your forecast of um, you know, the the increase in unemployment here in the United States before that equilibration? So the unemployment, interestingly, our expectation is that it's going to uh, only go up to 4.4 percent. For for example, in the United States, uh, that's going to happen. Right now, it's 3.5 percent. So the 4.4 percent is only going to be reached uh, by the end of this year and into 
the, the first part of 2024. And it's gonna stay more or less there uh, for the next year or so is our expectation. So, you know, the job losses are not going to be that deep. And as I, as I mentioned, because the gains were so high at the beginning of the year, um, overall, we are gonna end up having a positive job growth. Uh, the unemployment rate 4.4%. If you compare it to the, you know, even forget about the uh, previous recessions where we had as high as 10%. Um, even uh, compared to a regular year without any recession, it's not a bad number. No, I mean you used to consider 4% full employment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but for those people who will be impacted, it's of course a big a big thing. It's just what you're talking about. It's in the macro. It's it's relatively minor. Let's turn to China. China is the second largest economy in the world. Mm -hmm. um, why did China have negative job growth before the pandemic? And you know what explains the current job growth forecast? So just uh, to begin with, uh, the, between 2010 and 2019, um, China had actually negative job growth. It was, I mean, very close to 0%, just, just under 0%, but essentially it was a negative number. And then uh, for 2023, our expectation is that it's only grow by 0.2%. And uh, the reason is because essentially China it has been in a transition going from a low, let's say uh, low end manufacturing, which is a little bit more uh, labor intensive uh, to high end manufacturing where um, they don't need the, uh, the same amount of labor uh, to, to, uh, to produce the same amount. So the productivity is going up. However, the, this higher productivity, for example, in other countries, uh, yield into uh, lower working hours. Like if the same uh, level of increase in productivity, when that happens in mature economies such as Europe or United States, that comes with uh, declining working hours. It didn't happen in China, at least not yet, in terms of declining working hours who have those jobs. And then, you know, the other, the other part of the equation is that you would see more job growth, let's say, uh, in service sectors uh, where the productivity is going up in manufacturing. Uh, and that make up uh, the jobs lost, right? Due to increased automation, let's say, in manufacturing. That hasn't happened yet in China as well. Their uh, service sector uh, job growth is not... Uh, making up for the losses in, in uh, higher productivity in, in manufacturing and hence job losses there. Yeah, and China's a different animal anyway because they had a zero COVID policy and they did shutdowns, which basically took you know th those jobs and, and idled them. And so you, you're seeing a, a now an, a reopening of the, of the economy since the late fall and when they had their Congress and changed the policy. So that, that's impacted it too, right? Right, absolutely. What, that's why what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to compare the job growth uh, pre-pandemic yeah. uh, to, to yeah. our expectations in 2023. Yeah, and that's why the gap, because mm -hmm. it's, you had that zero COVID policy in between. And that's why you're saying services are picking up in China because now people can come out and go and-, and right. You know, participate right. in those industries. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, but, you good. know, the 0.2% is, you know, it's even lower than the United States. We are expecting 0.7% job growth in 2023, despite the yeah, recession. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty low, but they have a lot of people, but 1.4, 1.5 billion people. So they, you they, know, 0.2% adds up. They do. That's true. And, you know, that's one thing like, um, I mean, it's difficult to compare hours, uh, average hours yeah. uh, that are worked uh, from country to country. But if you look at the numbers, right, 
So for instance, uh, China is close to 2,300 hours per year per employee, uh, per worker. And compare that to, for instance, United States or other mature economies where we are averaging 1,600 to 1,700 hours a year per worker. That means it's almost like one job created in China is equal to one and a half job that is created in the United States. That's like 50% more productivity and it's even higher versus Europe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's under 1600 in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy differences. Well, let's turn to you mentioning uh, bringing up Europe. Talk about the, uh, the unemployment level in Europe and where that's going. For Europe, we expect uh, the unemployment rate to stay low in 2023, uh, especially compared to the pre-pandemic levels. Uh, for, for example, for European Union, uh, before pandemic, the average well, unemployment rate was close to 10%. Now the expectation is that for the 2023, it's going to stay at 6.3%. In almost every European country, we, we are at uh, the lowest unemployment levels for the last 15 years or so. And we expect that to continue. Again, the main issue is that uh, just like United States, Europe is dealing with um, an aging population which essentially means that uh, the working force is shrinking or at least is staying stagnant. So they are having difficulty finding workers, which keeps the unemployment rates low. We're talking about the state of the labor markets around the globe in 2023. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the Conference Board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem-solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by our senior economist, Selchuk Aaron. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the US, Europe, course, China. But, you know, if you think about what happened globally from a, from, you know, we were talking working hours in by country, but, but overall working hours have declined globally for what the last couple of decades. So people, I mean, when you total it all up, people are working fewer and fewer hours and that impacts productivity, doesn't it? Right. I mean, in a sense, I believe productivity does make people be able to afford to work fewer hours. So it's the productivity, I believe, that determines uh, uh, the work hours rather than the reverse. So what has been happening for the last two decades is, uh, and it's different from country to country, but first of all, as, as people's income go up, uh, they are able to afford uh, fewer hours that they need to work with, right? So they reach a certain level of threshold in terms of their well-being, the, in terms of their needs. Uh, so they are able to afford uh, fewer hours that they can work. Like in, instead of working, you know, six six days a, a week, they can they are able to work uh, five days a week. So uh, they do that. Uh, 
that's one one aspect. The other aspect is that the industries, the, the industry mix uh, where people work in are changing. So traditionally, for instance, manufacturing have longer work hours. Uh, but now that uh, with the technology, uh, with the increase in productivity in manufacturing, you need fewer workers in the industry. Uh, so what, what the workers shift to? They shift to the service jobs. And service jobs, again, traditionally have lower working hours on average uh, compared to manufacturing. So that has an impact in terms of declining uh, number of hours that people work, but also, especially in the mature countries in the, the such as Europe and the United States, uh, the demographics of the labor force has been changing. Uh, we have an aging population here uh, and Europe as well, uh, which again, if you look at the number of hours that they are working, if they are participating in the labor force, uh, they work fewer hours. Right, so it could be related to their health situation. It could be their uh, ability to uh, dictate their own schedules because they have the experience, because they have the uh, tenure, because they, they are in managerial positions, whatever. So they have that aspect. Secondly, uh, the labor force is becoming more and more women. And uh, with that comes, uh, you know, traditionally additional responsibilities out of, out, out workforce, such as, uh, you know, spending more time uh, at home, uh, taking care of the family, the kids. So they spend more work hours that are unpaid work, essentially, which kind of limits their, uh, the number of hours that they are able to participate in the labor force. So, so you have that uh, change in the mixture as well in terms of who are the workers, in a sense, uh, who can, who are able to work fewer hours. Yeah, there's also the, the differences in social norms, but also the, the change in those norms. For instance, you're, you were mentioning China before the break and uh, the average of 2,300 working hours per year per employee versus 1,600, for instance, in the U.S. But that those numbers have come down in the Western and more developed countries, but you would expect that to come down also in China over time. That has to hit productivity because there are just simply fewer hours per employee being worked. So how does that play into your forecast going forward? Absolutely. I mean, it really depends on how you measure productivity, right? So if you are looking at productivity yeah. per hour, that is not going to be impacted necessarily by work hours. Uh, but if you are looking at the productivity per worker, as you said, uh, you know, the declining numbers is going to, to reduce the overall productivity. So that's actually one reason why we try to look at the productivity as per hour versus, you know, for the whole year, so that uh, that decline in uh, work hours is not impacted by that. So in terms of the productivity per hour, let's say the output per hour, uh, how we measure it, uh, that is expected to turn negative in the United States, Europe, as well as Russia in 2023. Um, uh, whereas uh, we are expecting that to decline globally overall as well, uh, even though it's going to be positive in China, India, and other uh, emerging markets, um, we are expecting a, a, a decline, further decline in productivity. And again, you know, as I mentioned, there are several reasons for that decline in productivity. One reason is, again, because of the industry mix that are changing. So for example, in the United States, right? So the additional jobs that are created are more in service sectors that are the way that we measure it. Um, uh, the value of those jobs to the, to, the, uh, to the overall GDP is not that high, 
right? So if we are talking about, for instance, a new job uh, added in healthcare sector, let's say um, a, a nurse taking care of uh, one person uh, per hour, let's say, that doesn't have the same level of increase to the GDP overall compared to a manufacturing job where you know, in one hour you can produce a vehicle, for instance, right? So uh, that difference, because where you are adding uh, jobs in industries such as leisure and hospitality, we are, which are uh, lower productivity, that is gonna lower your overall measured productivity. Well, there's also the difference between the private sector and the public sector, right? I mean, the, the multiplier effect of an added job in the private sector is what, still four, four and a half, uh, and it's far lower than that, like a half in, you know, in the in the public sector. So all of these things differ by country, mm -hmm. and it's and it's really important. But you know, in the '90s here in the U.S., we had almost 100 basis points contributed a year contributed to GDP because of productivity growth, mm -hmm. and that kind of disappeared on us here because of all the factors that you've talked about. And it, it is an issue for developed markets. How do you replace it? What are some of the things that you see on the horizon that will contribute to added productivity? Well, I mean, obviously innovation is really important. Automation is really yeah. important. The digitizing the workforce is really important, right? So in order to uh, achieve that increased productivity uh, yeah. and, you know, AI is, is becoming a more and more important role. Uh, as long as we are able to utilize these techniques, uh, uh, these, these technologies, uh, the productivity should go up. It's just a matter of, whether we are going to be able to get a good use of it. Yeah, this, you know, it's interesting you mentioned AI because a lot of people are afraid of AI and they're saying, oh, it's going to take my job. But, you know, if you think back to any technological change or I won't, I won't say revolution, but it's really an evolution, you know, from it, we were an agrarian economy and we became an industrial economy. At each phase, there was a higher level of uh, transformation. Um, and each at each level, it freed up human beings to, you know, contribute at a higher level of thought, you know, and now we consider ourselves mostly a knowledge-based economy and so forth. And so that, you know, that's really a good thing for mankind in the long run, although there are displacements along the way, right? Right. I think it, uh, the journey might be a little bit difficult, but we are going to get there in terms of finding a good balance to, to use the technologies. I mean, we never had trouble, as, as you mentioned, all the previous improvements and evolution of the technologies, it never resulted in uh, big uh, job losses. Maybe, you know, sectoral basis, yes, it does happen. But, you know, you don't see people because of the improved technologies to, to, to be in hunger, right? So that's not what happens. So, so what would happen? Maybe it means that we are going to be all uh, able to work fewer hours. Right, instead of working, uh, you know, 2,400 hours uh, in, in developing countries, they're going to be able to get to where we are right now, to 1,600 hours, and they're going to be able to find other things that they can do with the time that they have. And similarly, we are going to be in the same position. So I don't think AI, the technology, is is, is an enemy in, uh, to the labor force. It's, it's yeah. Don't don't fear AI. Is what I hear you saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the other things you've talked about is declining youth employment. Talk about that. Right. So what we are observing, especially in uh, in developing countries such as India and China, we have been seeing the labor force participation among youth. 
that is going down uh, more most recently, as well as Russia, United Kingdom. We see a similar trend in Middle East and uh, North Africa as well. Uh, the labor force participation rates declined. And the, the age group we are talking about is 15 to 24. And some of it, it could just be explained by, um, you know, during pandemic, because of the shutdowns, many of these kids, uh, the youth, uh, they had to delay, uh, you know, uh, their, uh, you know, education enrollment race, the, the, the college uh, enrollment, they had to, to uh, essentially slow that down or stop it completely. So some of this could be explained just uh, these children, this kid, the, this youth going back uh, to school. But, uh, but there's more than uh, more to this, I believe, than just increasing uh, enrollment rates uh, to uh, post-secondary education. Uh, for instance, in the United States, you also see the share of uh, youth that are neither at school nor particip participating in the labor force that is going up. Similar trends has been happening in India and China, millions of young workers, they are, uh, involved in like, you know, different countries have different language that they define as by, like in India, they call it time pass. In China, they call it lying flat. So essentially it means that they are passing time unproductively. Um, and, you know, essentially you have to find ways to be able to uh, have this youth to participate uh, either in education either, uh, or labor force uh, so that they become productive members of the society. Yeah. And to be clear, we're not talking about child labor. Oh, we're no. talking about late, yeah. late teen labor, which used to be a big part of the workforce. You know, people get out of school, graduate from high school and then get into the labor force. And you're seeing this gap, as you're saying, you know, where they're just not working. And uh, and that's not good, you know, without judging whether it's good for them. Mm -hmm. It's not good for society because, you know, we have labor shortages at the same time when you have people retiring early and taking themselves out of the labor force that's not good because you have then all these people um and and hence you 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 know you, you then do the calculation on that and we're only at about in this country uh 62% of our population is working and it's it's it varies by by country but that's been coming down and that that's that's an, an issue over the long term absolutely we are facing labor shortages especially in mature economies such as united states europe but also in japan um, and, you know, Chinese getting there. Um, a lot of countries are essentially getting there in terms of where they are. Uh, maybe right now it's not the case for India, but, you know, with yeah. the low, fertil uh, low fertility rates, uh, which is like on a declining trend almost everywhere in the world, uh, almost everywhere is going to get there. Yeah. You know, you mentioned some of these, but last question, what are some of the solutions to these labor shortages? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to better utilize uh, the labor force that you have, right? So you have to have improvements in productivity and that's where, you know, auto automation and technology comes into picture. We do have to increase that productivity levels. That's number one, right? Uh, number two is uh, you need to expand your, the number of years uh, or, you know, the, that window right, that uh, people work in. So if you look at the data again, uh, in the last 20 years, life expectancy grew by more than five years uh, overall in, in the world. Uh, and then, you know, you compare that to uh, what happened to the retirement ages and that only grew maybe two years, 
additionally. So that additional life expectancy did not necessarily turn into longer uh, work lives. And, um, you know, some of that is just policy, right? Um, some of that is also health of individuals. Yes, you might be lo uh, living longer, but are you in the health? Uh, some of it could be uh, discrimination in the, in the market against uh, older folks, seniors. Uh, some of it could be uh, firms being worried about uh, the productivity of older workers. But, you know, even with that, the technology can help, right? Um, so we could have this uh, uh, older uh, workforce. Uh, we could upskill them. Uh, we could uh, uh, take advantage of the technology to give them positions that are maybe a little bit more flexible, right? So it could be in the form of remote work, hybrid work situations. So we could be able to um, better use um, uh, our, let's say, uh, increased life expectancy. Yeah, lot, lots, lots of ways here to, to do it. Right. And uh, I think one final important thing that I should mention, and this is especially true for developed countries such as the United States and again Europe, is, is immigration. And immigration is a very important component of the labor force. If you look at the statistics on uh, labor force participation, uh, immigrants are, have much, much higher rates in terms of labor force participation. Most of them do come in order to work, right? So they are not coming, uh, they are not uh, migrating to just uh, sit, uh, sit and wait. So it is a very important component of, of increasing, the labor, uh, increasing the labor force in the developed countries, uh, US, Europe, Canada, and so and so forth. Salchuk, great points, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Steve. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Please share CEO Perspectives with all of your colleagues, your friends, your relatives. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.